All right, friends, welcome to the program. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajovsky here, your host, proudly reporting for duty this Halloween, October the 31st. My goodness, a lot going on. Uh, I'm seeing this story about uh, Yemen. Yemen has declared war on Israel. It's not exactly correct. It's the rebels in Yemen that have done this. And... um, and that doesn't, they're launching missiles. Yemen is on the other side of Saudi Arabia, just so you know. And these rebels in Yemen are fighting and have been fighting since about 2014, the internationally recognized government there. And they're backed by guess who? Well, yes, the Iranians. They are they are backing this enterprise, and so they've sent some missiles. They're, those missiles are flying over Saudi Arabia. I don't think Saudi Arabia is particularly thrilled about any of this. Uh, but I see that this is uh, being described as a step toward a larger regional war. Again, this is a rebel group backed by Iran, yet another proxy of rabble-rousers that none of the other Middle Eastern countries are particularly thrilled about. So I just want to point point that out now the the best part about this declaration of war by Yemen by the by the rebels there came by way of a press conference now I recognize the fact that this is radio so we have to engage in a bit of theater of the mind but I I'm going to play this audio the guy sitting up there or standing up there behind the podium dressed in a military uniform with a large uh, amount of decorations on his chest. This is this is how we know this gentleman, not too old, by the way, seems to be younger, middle-aged, is someone important. So he gets up there, and this video, by the way, this is circulating all morning about this guy supposedly declaring war on, on Israel. Listen to this. <laughs> وأن تنتصر لغزة ولأطفالها ونسائها ونحن ومن واقع الشعور بالمسؤولية الدينية والأخلاقية. I'm I'm not well, I can't translate it for you word for word, folks. Um, uh, but I am I am fairly certain that there is some sort of sale on exquisite carpeting that is about to go down mid La Cienega Boulevard in L.A. So just letting you know if you are looking for some some finely woven rugs. This is the gentleman for you. So that, that's how it all went down. The, the video goes on for, for minutes. He's very agitated. He wants to get the Israelis down with the Israelis. And I suggest, uh, given how eloquent his protestations of, yeah, not just Israel, but of course, Western civilization, of all occupying forces across the world, how emphatic his deliveries, I think that he should get a scholarship to Harvard. No, he's not too old to be a student. Robbie, I've seen I've seen back to school. Rodney Dangerfield, you're never too old to go back. So I would say this guy could make a great student perhaps at Harvard or at Yale, at Brandeis, any UC campus, certainly California would take him in a heartbeat. So uh, we'll, we'll see if he's got a if he's got a, an SAT score, he can forward on. All right, 
Now, the, the, the Biden, Team Biden, listen, this is the biggest concern I have is that Team Biden is going to, um, that they're going to weaken on Israel. And I have uh, coming here at two o'clock, just so you know, in studio will be Matt Brooks, who is the CEO of the RJC, Republican Jewish Coalition. Matt's a very connected guy. I spoke yesterday about the conference. So I, I have him coming here to the office. We're going to have him in studio on the mic talking about these important issues. It's one of the things I'm going to ask him because it's universally recognized that, that the team Biden has been all about supporting Israel. And yet my gut instinct tells me that as this thing begins to move down the path and Israel does what it needs to do in Gaza, they took out a top Hamas commander. In fact, this is a guy, Robbie, this is the guy that was primarily responsible for planning the attack on October 7th. They got him. He's dead. Ding dong dead. But what's the problem? Of course, there have been civilian casualties and a great deal of, well, a great deal is made of that. And you'll see a number of reporters, journalists across the a liberal spectrum making arguments that this was not proportionate. And I think it's just a matter of time before Team Biden weakens on this. So I'm just that's 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 the backdrop. And Kamala Harris, this was on Sunday, and this is the reason that I think that this is one of those uh, indicators of perhaps some weakening, and that is they're going through all the messaging here, obsessed with this idea that we cannot conflate Hamas with Palestine. This is the first step, in my view, the first backtrack. So you know, can't conflate. This is with uh, 60 Minutes, Bill Whitaker, Kamala Harris, vice president. By the way, she could become president any day uh, were uh, Joe Biden to become incapacitated or expire uh, this is what Kamala has to say about the biggest concern. We got a big concern right now. We cannot conflate Hamas with Palestine. Israel, without any question, has a right to defend itself. That being said, it is very important that there be no conflation between Hamas and the Palestinians. The Palestinians deserve equal measures of safety and security, self-determination and dignity. And we have been very clear that the rules of war must be adhered to and that there be human humanitarian aid that flows. Okay, I'm uh, fine. Humanitarian, we could send in humanitarian aid. Uh, anybody that wants to help Gaza can help Gaza. Um, albeit, of course, there is an ongoing uh, war happening. Uh, my, my problem is this. Remember yesterday I, I shared with you that when I was at the RJC Summit this weekend, this past weekend here in Las Vegas, I heard from paramedic Ellie Beer, who is the founder of the United Hatzalah Ambulance Services in Israel. He lives in Jerusalem, and him and his wife and their volunteer force were at the front lines of, of, of the October 7th attack, the aftermath of the October 7th attack. And oftentimes, these volunteers were the ones that showed up even before the military or the police. And yes, many of them passed away in the, in, the line of, in the line of duty as they were rendering aid to both Israelis and Arabs that were hurt 
uh, injured and killed in the, um, in, in, in the attack. Now, one of the things he described, Ellie Beer described to all of us sitting in the room there at the Venetian Hotel here in Las Vegas, he described in one of the households that they visited, they found a baby that had been put in an oven and baked to death, cooked to death by the terrorists. And this is one of the reasons why yesterday I, I you know, I've, I've heard, and I even have called these people animals. It's not fair to animals. These people are monsters. And that's long and the short of it. So I, I bringing this up, and then I mentioned that there was a Palestinian president. Now, I want to be respectful to Ms. Harris, our uh, wonderful vice president. I, I want to recognize that not all Palestinians are Hamas. Well, let me tell you what this Palestinian intellectual uh, guy, you know, university professor there in Gaza, what he said, what he tweeted out from his Twitter account. When reports of what Ellie Beer told us, me and everybody in attendance that night at the Venetian spread around the internet, somebody posted this particular uh, description and this person this Palestinian professor who has been adored, frankly, by the New York Times. He's been cited by the New York Times. He's a contributing author, uh, writer there. And he wrote on his Twitter, again, in response to children being baked alive, a child being baked alive in an oven, with or without baking powder. Now, I have an answer for Vice President Kamala Harris to her admonition, her scold of all of us that we need to be mindful not to conflate those poor Palestinian folks that you know are getting wrongly bunched in with Hamas terrorists. Um, if you say and ask to the question of a baby being put in an oven or the statement of baby being put in, ask if, if there was some baking powder involved. I don't have a lot of sympathy for you if an Israeli bunker buster bomb just happens to fall on your head and obliterate you. I, I don't, and I don't think I'm alone in this, right? I don't think that this is a, I don't think I'm, I'm insensitive for this. Robbie's giving me a glaring look. Look, I, this is despicable. And at what point is it the history of the world that an pop, a civilian population, even a completely innocent one, in the sense of, you know, responsibility for political process. Innocence, by the way, I relate innocence to a government, the extent to which the citizenry is disassociated from having, you know, from, from, the, from the political power in that country. So a democracy, a, you know, a true democracy, direct democracy, you, you probably have a lot of association, a high level of association. And in a, in a, in a country like that's an absolute dictatorship, a fairly low level. I've given the example of Japan. Now, very few Japanese had any influence, direct influence over how the war was conducted, over the decision, for example, to bomb Pearl Harbor. Very few, and yet many, 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 hundreds of thousands of them paid the ultimate price for that. War is terrible. 
And yet here we have Team Biden lecturing us about, oh, don't, don't go conflate. Not all Palestinians are, okay, fine, fair point. And so what is my response? Because it is Hamas in association with the Palestinian Authority from Palestine-controlled territory that is waging war and has waged war and continues to wage war beyond October 7th on the state of Israel. And so the state of Israel has a right to defend itself, has a right to go in, has a right to be ruthless. And the civilian population, none of this, none of these people are throwing around the word war crimes. These are not war crimes that are occurring. I mean, I haven't seen anything that rises to the level of war crimes. You have people that are dying in the course and scope of a war. And many of them that are dying absolutely are not in the least bit responsible for what their government has done. But a lot of them, friends, a lot of them harbor sympathies for it. And I don't know if that has any bearing on anything other than it's, it's important to say that. And I would say it's important to understand that the, my, my biggest, biggest issue with what Kamala Harris is saying, and I have to take a break here, but the biggest issue is that it's all setting us up to take in refugees. And I'll tell you, one of the worst things we could do as a country is to let any one of these people in. Hell's bells, the region doesn't want them. Jordan doesn't want them. Egypt doesn't want them. Saudi Arabia doesn't want them. Nobody wants these people. And only somebody as dumb as Kamala Harris and whoever thinks that she's got good ideas would bring them to this country. So that is, I think, where part of the setup is going. More on this and more when we return. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Rarely wrong, always right. Sam Rajovsky, that's me, host of the What's Right Show, here on News Talk 840 KXNT, this hour brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. Now, friends, I have uh, here in uh, in moments, well, in moments, few minutes, uh, two o'clock, I'll have my friend uh, Matt Brooks. He is uh, the CEO of the Republican Jewish Coalition. Uh, great guy, good friend, good buddy of mine. He is in town relaxing after an extremely busy weekend at a conference that made quite a bit of news. You'll recall, um, well, Vice President Pence dropped out right before our very eyes. And as I told you yesterday, uh, he did not get the warmest of welcome when he came up on stage. And the minute that he, he said, well, it's not my time now, and I think it's time to call it, everybody went bonkers in a great way. They were, they were, they were pleasant about it, but they were absolutely ecstatic. Everybody for their own reasons. That has to be said, too. The Trump people, obviously, we do not – I throw myself in there. I am not a big fan of, of Pence in the aftermath of 
of the well, we'll call it January sixth, um, and the and the and the and the resulting events, and then of course, of course, Pence also you know is running. He's so wooden, but uh, so Trump people were very happy to have him drop out, and then of course. I think everybody else that is behind a candidate wants to see the field get, get uh, you know, w- you know, wound down and 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 reduced, in order to allow for more support to be distributed among the not Trump candidates. Remember, this is the group that has for months said that everybody, you know, not Trump, but everybody should drop out and coalesce behind candidate X. And for a while, it was the DeSantis people pushing it. Now I'm hearing a lot of it, a lot of it come from the Nikki Haley crowd. They think everybody should get out. Let Nikki take, you know, take the banner, take the flag and and charge ahead and slay the Trump dragon. If they think that Nikki Haley is a match for Donaldus Maximus, Trump is you know, I even I'll tell you, I will admit that even I underestimated Trump's ability to to chop up a guy like DeSantis, for example. And he's done it. You know, it's not even Trump's doing. DeSantis has done it to himself. That's the part of it that really blows me away. You know what the latest you know what the latest part of this is now that the, the, it's trending. Where do I have it? It doesn't my stack of stuff. OK, it's not a it's a serious news story, Robbie. Don't look at me like that. It's serious. It's Bootgate. Bootgate. Okay, you're, you didn't, okay, you don't know what this, Bootgate is, it's trending on Twitter. It was number two on Twitter this morning. And it, it's all to do with DeSantis's uh, reported penchant for footwear that makes him look taller. Now, I, Right, but DeSantis is a shorter guy. He claimed in an interview, I think this was yesterday, claimed in an interview that he's in fact 5'11", that his shoes are all OEM, you know, just their their standard issue boots. He wears cowboy boots. You know, cowboy boots, men's cowboy boots have heels. You will be taller wearing cowboy boots than you are wearing the loafers that I have on right now, for example. But now I want to say this. First of all, I want to say this. All you ladies out there listening, you'll get a chuckle out of this. Because I have been told on good authority from my single female friends that men out there like to exaggerate their heights. This apparently is a thing, particularly in the era of internet dating, app-based dating. You put in your, your, your details. Everybody, everybody lies a little bit about this stuff, right? But... <laughs> But apparently, the big thing out there is to exaggerate your height. And the most common height that men exaggerate to is apparently 5'11". Now, I'm offended by this because I am a true 5'11". I am not 6 foot, and I'm not 5'10". I am 5'11". So if he's 5'11 in boots, I mean, he's... it. None of it should matter. He ought to be just himself. That's been my point with DeSantis from Go. He is a phenomenal... He has a phenomenal track record. He's brilliant. He's, he has absolutely led in Florida in a way that we would want every conservative governor to, to lead a state. And he's worried about his height. 
frustrating. I'm frustrating. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. Be back in just a few minutes. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. And what's the message to Iran? Don't. As President Biden said, just don't. Exactly. One word. Pretty straightforward. What the hell is this? Robbie, what is she on a college campus? No means no. <laughs> Don't get rapey with me. What? Kamala Harris there answering the question by Bill Whitaker posed Sunday on 60 Minutes. What her message is for Iran. Sam Archofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. Listen, Trump would have gotten on the phone and says, I'm going to get you to meet all 69 or 72 virgins. Um, you know, by midday tomorrow, uh, he, <laughs> I will turn Iran into a parking lot. You will literally, it'll be, you could just tabletop. That's how President Trump spoke. And, and this is the way uh, crazy homicidal maniacs, you know, that's the kind of messaging that they respond to. Don't, just don't. <laughs> you see why I am, I am, I'm terrified of, of, of a Harris presidency. Absolutely terrified of it. By the way, they also asked her why her favorability, uh, the, the administration's favorability polls in general have dropped so much. And this is where you understand, you begin to understand just how effete and weak this administration is. They do not get it. They don't govern based on principles. They govern entirely based on polling. These people are a product. They don't have convictions. And that's why they are a candle in the wind. Listen. If you poll how young people feel about the climate and the warming of our planet, it polls as one of their top concerns. When we talk about what we are doing with student loan debt, polls very high. Uh, the challenge that we have as an administration is we got to let people know who brung it to them. <laughs> That's our challenge. But it is not that the work we are doing is not very, very popular with a lot of people. <laughs> I had to. Look, um, she's flummoxed that the polling that they have, that young people care about climate for example, climate change and the warming of the planet and student loan debt, student loan debt, you know, owed and such, that that's polling really high. And it's just, surprise, how is it possible that th these people don't then love their, their administration? And uh, one obvious note here is the planet is going to get very warm when Iran and the mullahs there get a nuclear bomb. So let's just start that out as a foundational statement. The second thing is, these are issues that are important, I guess, to these lobotomized young idiots roaming our country right now, but that doesn't mean that Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are inspiring any confidence, even with these lobotomized fools. Who cares what you know they know about polling? How are they 
convincing even their own supporters, right? Their own elect, their their own base that is ideologically aligned with their positions. How are they convincing them that they're their best bet? Because remember, you know, it's almost as if she's talking in a general election. It's not a general election yet. There, there are primaries, and we've got, you know, we we have Democrats now popping up and and stepping up and challenging Joe Biden in the primary. And to the extent that they get traction, that is in and of itself an acknowledgement within the party that the party, the base, lacks confidence in this administration. And then, of course, those of us on the other side, ideologically, are, uh, you know, we we both in style and substance have have, uh, significant criticisms. Oh, yeah, the, he asked her, yes, Whitaker also asked Kamala why she isn't the obvious successor to Biden. Why aren't you the, why are you the heir apparent? Why are, why are you stepping in and, you, you, you know, people kind of aren't too confident in your ability to, to, to pick up the reins. Well, first of all, I'm not going to engage in that hypothetical because Joe Biden is very much alive and running for re-election. So but you do are. know, I mean, that is a concern and, and a legitimate concern, I would say. I hear from a lot of different people, a lot of different things. But let me just tell you, I'm focused on the job. I truly am. Our democracy is on the line, Bill. And I frankly, in my head, do not have time for parlor games when we have a president who is running for re-election. Uh, she doesn't have time for parlor games. And she almost started doing her little laughing hyena bit and then found a, you know, found that statement that she was going to throw out there. Uh, uh, Hypotheticals. There's no hypothetical. Joe Biden's 80 years old. He's shuffling around. He's he's weakened. He's not particularly strong. He's he's got obviously some dementia setting in. And that's me being charitable. So what you know? What are we? What are we talking about here? This is very much a moment for Kamala Harris to say, "I am ready. I am here. I am standing by. It will not happen. But if it does, I'm good to go." And that's why Joe Biden and I are partners, and we're, we're you know we're strong. We're on the same page. We're you know, and I'm 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 very much every bit you know every bit his equal, and I I can I can take the reins from here. But that doesn't come out of her mouth, does it? <laughs> Democracy is on the line. <laughs> I don't have time for parlor games. Bizarro stuff. Yes, reminder, 2 o'clock, we'll have Matt Brooks here from the Republican Jewish Coalition. He's in town uh, putting in just, I guess, the last kind of cleaning up the last bits here from the conference that happened this weekend. So we'll have him here in studio and we'll talk to him. Uh yeah, the, I will get to that. Robbie, I'm going to get to it. I want to get to that next segment because the, the Trump case in New York is continuing the fraud case against Trump org for the inflated property values. I have an update on that because I, you know, I, I have a, a, a kind of a, a Republican light friend here in Vegas who is a realtor and he is, he is, well, he's, I remember when I sent him this this first thing where they what did what did they say that Mar-a-Lago was worth twenty five million something like that twenty seven million 
And I said, this is absurd because, of course, it's sitting on, what, 20-odd acres uh, beachfront property on the, on, the, on the right side of the street there in, in Palm Beach. It's, it's just a premium location. Not to mention it's got a beautiful house on it and beautiful grounds and it's developed and, and it's, you know, it's uh, certainly would, would go for a lot more. They're sticking with that valuation. They're, they're claiming now, yeah, yeah, tw- tw- this is all, these headlines are such a joke and such a red herring. So I, even people on the Republican side who don't like Trump are actually defending this stuff that's coming out in this trial. I'll explain it when we come back. Going to take an early break here. Let's let's do that and come back because, by the way, there's a there's a real estate deal happening down the street that ought to give a little bit of context to what kind of values are realistic in Palm Beach. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk eight forty KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law because you deserve what's right. This inflated property values business is maddening. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. Matt Brooks from the RJC will be here at the top of the hour uh, with us in studio. Don't want to miss that interview. Uh, Okay. Uh, Yes, yes. Welcome to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajovsky here, indeed, host of said program, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian attorney and real estate connoisseur. Let me tell you something. When you apply for funding for loans from a bank and a commercial deal, you tell the bank that you think that the building that you are either purchasing, acquiring, or the the building that you are offering up as collateral for another deal, you tell the bank what you think that that property is worth. And I'm going to ask all of you out there who have never done a business commercial real estate deal in your lives – but who have a brain because, of course, you're smart people. You listen to this program. You know the answer to this. Out of 10 times of telling a bank, 10 separate transactions, just just follow me here, 10 separate transactions, you know, where a commercial property is submitted to the bank as collateral for a loan. Of those 10 times that the owner of the property gives a stated value for the property of those 10 times how many of those times does the bank believe the person applying for the loan well if you guessed anything other than zero you would be wrong the the bank doesn't the bank either goes okay whatever discounts it on their end by 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 a significant order of of magnitude or most often what this what they do they go in and they they get a quick appraisal and sometimes it's as simple as a desk appraisal i mean these are all of these properties that are at issue are known properties it's not some dirt lot somewhere in backwater alabama these are big time commercial properties residential properties in some cases they're known addresses big buildings skyscrapers in in uh, in New York, and for example, Mar-a-Lago, which is a, a, another place that is known. So, the, the I guess Donald Trump's tax broker. This was reported. What was this uh, yesterday? Donald Trump's tax broker is forced to admit 
to authorities in 2020 that Mar-a-Lago had a market value of just $27 million. Not the $517 million claimed in other documents. Now, this is... This is his tax broker because tax basis is different than your market value. Each and every one of you, if you own a house, for example, here in Las Vegas, Clark County sends you out, you know, every year, a little coupon book, right? You know what I'm talking about? A little coupon book. They say, here's, here's what you owe for the year. And that's your, your tax basis. And it's based on there's an assessed value of the property. And you, most people look at that assessed value and, and go look at it. It's less than your house is worth right now. That's your tax basis. And you can go or, you know, argue with the authorities that your house is worth more, but you're not going to do it because you're going to leave it to them to assess the value of the house. And only, you're only going to argue with them if they think your house is worth more than it actually is. That's what the issue here is. Now, that's 2020. That's not too long ago. This is like two, two years, two and a half years ago. Now, Ken Griffin, do you know who Ken Griffin is? He is the CEO, founder of Citadel, one of the largest hedge funds in the country. Ken Griffin loves real estate. Ken Griffin also is starting to really hate libs. So he's moved his entire operation, as best as I can tell, down to, uh, down to Florida, and to South Florida. And he's bought a, uh, some land in, uh, in Palm Beach. Now, what Griffin is doing here is he's actually unwittingly, and nobody's connecting this. N nobody's connecting this to this absurd uh, witch hunt going on in New York, uh, Letitia James witch hunt in New York. But Griffin's providing Donald Trump with a comp. Let me give you some details on this. He has, let's see, he's... Griffin's new residence will become one of Palm Beach's most expansive private waterfront properties. Not the, but one of the. He spent about $450 million putting together a 25-acre parcel on Billionaire's Row. I looked at this, and it's about half a mile south of Mar-a-Lago. He spent $450 million dollars buying dirt, dirt on the same street as Mar-a-Lago. Now, I forget, Mar Robbie, look up Mar-a-Lago for me, the, the, um, the size of the lot. I think it's around the same amount. I think it's around 24, 25 acres. This one's 25 acres, $450 million. Now, why is this relevant? You're telling me that two years ago, three years ago, whatever, Mar-a-Lago was worth only $25 million and that today it's 20 acres. Okay, so that's a little bit bigger, but not by much. You get my point? You're telling me that three years ago or less, Mar-a-Lago was only worth $25 million and that was fully developed with a beautiful historic home on it that's kept up nicely and, and, and basketball, excuse me, tennis courts and all the, all the, all the facilities and everything, $25 million. Oceanfront, 20 acres. When today you're getting, you know, for $450 million, you're getting a similar size parcel for just the dirt. Absolutely not. By the way, what is finance Yahoo News? What are they describing this? 
what do they, this is what's funny. What will this house be worth? When finished, the 50,000 square foot estate should reach a value of, are you ready? $1 billion. That's what they're estimating. So look, I mean, the banks weren't harmed in any of this. It's not like Donald Trump put this out there and, and didn't have an asset that was worth real money. It was worth real money. The banks could have and likely did write down what they thought, you know, what they thought the real value was. So it, you know, it, um, it, it, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, and the banks never complained about that. They never sued him over this. They got repaid on all of their loans. They're not real victims here. What this is is simply and completely and totally just a witch hunt. All designed to get Trump. He got Michael Cohen, that little weaselly lawyer who they ought to disbar a few more times just for good measure. Pushing this whole thing forward. It is such a ludicrous farce. By the way, Trump or, um, you know, Trump or claimed uh, at the time that uh, Mar-a-Lago was worth $517 million. And now Ken Griffin, similar size place, bigger house, slightly bigger lot, same location is building a billion dollar house. So, you know, I, 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 I just keep bringing this up. When people tell you, oh, he inflated this, they don't have any idea of what that kind of place it could be possibly worth. There's no planet on which that house, that property is worth only 27 million. That I can tell you as a fact. Now, okay, I know I've got, we're gonna have, we're gonna have, uh, yeah, Matt, Matt's in the building. All right, good. We're gonna have him on at two o'clock uh, just after the break. Um, but I want to, yeah, I, I'll get into some of the, also we'll get into some of the speaker updates the, the Dems are fuming, by the way. They're fuming over this, this Republican proposal to pass aid to Israel, but take the money away, cut the same amount of money, and send it, you know, from the IRS bill, right? $14.3 is going to get basically deducted from IRS funds. Chuck Schumer calling it an unserious proposal, but I personally, I love it. You, you know what that money for the IRS agents was for. It wasn't to go, this is, this is where the left loses me. It wasn't to go after billionaires. They, 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 you don't need that many people to go after the relatively few that have, you know, that operate in that, in that financial strata. No, this was always designed to go after your Zelle money that you're making. Rank and file regular old Americans are making off of, gig jobs and wait, you know, doing things to supplement their income just to get by in this crazy Biden economy. Democrats ought to be rejoicing that the IRS budget is cut. They ought to be ecstatic about it because it's going, they're, they've been targeting aggressively the middle class. They're going after, they're going after people's side gigs. They're going after mom's Etsy accounts. That's what they're going after. But they talk, it's all blah, blah, blah. We're going after the rich. We're going we're gonna to get the billionaires, everything. And I love it. And now they're going to, they're, they're going to, they're going, they're, they're going to have to, they're going to have to vote against Israeli aid just to save the IRS. 
and have to answer to their voters. So I'm still, I'm still, uh, I'm encouraged by the speaker. I like it. It's crafty stuff. Don't forget one thing. A lot of people are focusing on Speaker Mike Johnson being religious. I want to make another point here. He is wickedly smart. He's a constitutional attorney. I think he's got the skills to make some, some real headway in Washington. So we'll see. But that's the word. All right, when we come back, Matt Brooks will be here in studio on the What's Right Show with me, Sam Rajovsky. This hour brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. Don't go anywhere. You don't want to miss Matt. Always great to have him here. All right, I'll be back in a moment. Don't go anywhere. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Greetings, friends. Sam Rajofsky here. News Talk 840 KXNT. Welcome to the What's Right Show brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. Friends, as promised, here in studio with me, a very dear friend of mine, Matt Brooks. Matt, welcome to the um, to the uh, What's Right Show studios. It's good to have you in Vegas. It's great to be in Vegas, Sam. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> now, Matt, you are the grand poobah himself, the CEO of the Republican Jewish Coalition. Uh, yesterday and today, I've, I've been talking a little bit about the conference this weekend. Thank you for the invite. It was absolutely incredible now the republican jewish coalition what is it and why is it important to conservatism and the movement broadly and also uh to america well we are a national grassroots organization uh of jewish activists who are engaged in the political process on the republican side we have two real broad goals and objectives. Number one, we work within the Republican Party uh, to promote uh, issues of concern to the Jewish community, standing with Israel, you know, uh, making sure Iran doesn't get a nuclear weapon, combating anti-Semitism, et cetera, et cetera. And then what we also do is we have a political component in which we go into the Jewish community and we try and maximize support uh, for Republicans, both in terms of financial resources, uh, campaign contributions and such, uh, but also votes. Uh, so we'll work in in uh, communities that have large Jewish, uh, you know, Jewish population, and we'll work to really turn out the Jewish vote on behalf of our Republican candidates. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, by the way, I just I, I was uh, blown away at the. I mean, for, you had all the top Republican presidential contenders; they all showed up. This was a clearly a must do event, and then I am. You know, I, I, it's obvious to me how many different ways that you guys are engaged in, in, in promoting, uh, you know, I, I think the, the, right, <laughs> the right agenda in Washington. And it brings me to an interesting point. I, I'm, I've always been baffled by this. I think there are a few different explanations, but I want to hear, hear yours. I am absolutely mystified. And I say this as a non-Jew. I say this as a as your as your Gentile friend. I am absolutely mystified how an American Jew can be a Democrat, a liberal Democrat, especially now, and in particular, you know, this month. We're here on the last day of the month, October seventh, um, looming over us. What you know, the events obviously of this month. Um, explain it to me. I mean, y- you've got insight to it. You, you're in the thick of it. You talk to these people, you talk to Democrats on the other side of the aisle, and 
you know, on, on things like the, 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 uh, the idea that we would appease Iran. I mean, to me, that seems like an absolutely self-defeating proposition. So what, what's, the, what's the story here? Well, I, I think in the broader context as to the why, you know, I defer to guys who are a lot smarter than I am uh, who have written about this. So uh, if you take a look, I mean, Norman Podhartz, Dennis Prager have written extensively about this phenomenon in which uh, for so many people in the Jewish community, their liberalism has supplanted their Judaism as their real core religion. So uh, with their religion being liberalism, the uh, the you can understand uh, in the context as to why so many of them act against the, their own self-interest in the Jewish community. But the interesting thing, uh, and I've been doing this, I started at the Republican Jewish Coalition back in 1988, and so I've been doing this for a while. The good news is, is that is changing. We're seeing significant shifts within the Jewish community away from the Democratic Party and to the Republican Party. And so, you know, just look at the last several uh, elections. Um, you know, in 2020, President Trump uh, got 30.5% nationally of the Jewish vote. You have to go back all the way to Ronald Reagan to find a Republican who did as well among Jewish voters as, as that. But, you know, the, the important thing is you, you look down, you know, uh, that 30.5% is a national number. But what's really interesting and what's really telling is in the key battleground states that decide elections, you know, we don't really care what the Upper West Side of New York's Jewish community does or West Hollywood because sure. California and New York are irrelevant, you know, in terms of us getting to 270 to elect a president. But states like Florida are very important. There are battleground right. states in that, you know, in Florida, according to the national exit polls, uh, Donald Trump got 43 percent of the Jewish vote. Uh, he got 50 percent of the Jewish vote in Georgia. These are states that matter. And the fact is, I never thought I'd see uh, a time in my life where we would have basic parity among Jewish voters between the Republicans and Democrats. I'm confident that trend line is going to continue. And I hope that we get to the point where we actually uh, outpoll uh, sure. as Republicans, uh, because, you know, it's hard. No matter your politics, to me, it seems you cannot objectively look at events as they are spiraling out in the world today with anti-Semitism rampant here in the United States, what's happening with the war in Gaza, what's happening uh, with uh, Iranian aggression and all of these things, and not have a common sense attitude that, hey, you know, we've got to do something different. And even though I've been a lifelong progressive, even though I've been a lifelong Democrat, what have you, uh, it's just not working. And we've got to, we've got to take steps to rectify that. And that's, you know, I hope there's some epiphany there that uh, this, all this horribleness, you know, brings about and getting people to rethink, you know, how they view these problems. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I see it on, for example, a subject like multiculturalism, right. Which has been this, uh, this dogma that, for the entire time that I've been alive has been uh, a, a, a almost, I don't know, almost a dominant uh, component of leftism in this country. Now we're seeing that we have, we have filled our country with people that, that want us dead. I mean, and, I, and when I say us, I mean, it's, it's not just the hostility that you're seeing towards Jews. You're seeing, you know, you're seeing generalized hostility toward anyone that is, is, white or is successful or is um, is perceived to be hostile to the liberal establishment. The word colonizer, right? 
as almost interchangeable with other slurs against against you know more specific groups because they they want us they they're they've got an agenda here and they want nothing more than to then to then to and to eliminate broad portions of our society and we've allowed this to happen under the guise of tolerance yep. so i think you know i th- i think that that's going to be the awakening that that happens i hope and i i hope you're right because it's it's almost an existential problem for all of us yeah. in this country and and the other part of that equation as to how we got here and i think is is really uh has been so pernicious uh, is the whole idea of intersectionality, right? So, right. Um, you know, we have, in the Jewish community, there are segments that have tried to have common cause. And, you know, with George Floyd, they're out marching with the Black Black Lives Matter folks. And, you know, the Black Lives Matter folks are now the people leading the, tr- the charge in support of Hamas and against Israel. And, you know, it's just, uh, uh, they're seeing their true colors. And the Jewish community is is starting to realize this, hey, you know, maybe all these friends we had in the progressive movement really aren't our friends anymore. They aren't. Yeah. They aren't. So it brings me then to this. I, I, I think I shared this with you yesterday. Uh, the poll got released. This new signal poll came out about attitudes following the uh, the the October 7th attack. You've seen this. Yep. And and it's it's basically polling, you know, has your opinion changed? Uh uh, following the of of a particular group, right? And and there's different things that are tested uh, at following the October seventh attack. And one of the things that they looked at is change in attitudes uh, of the Democratic Party versus the Republican Party. Now, I would think, from my vantage point, that among Jewish Americans, the um, uh, this the events of this last month would have increased support for the Republican Party over the Democratic Party. And in fact, the opposite was true. What, what's your take on that? I think there's two takeaways uh, from that. And I've really had a, uh, been fortunate enough to, to sort of drill down into the cross tabs and the numbers on this poll. And, you know, I think that part of this is a timing issue, right? So yeah. if this had happened, um, you know, probably, uh, October 10th, if the poll had been in the field, say October 10th, right after the attack, uh, it would be a different set. But, you know, keep in mind that by and large, uh, from a uh, perspective of articulating the right stuff, Joe Biden has been so strong. Uh, So people don't really perceive yet that there is a a true uh, difference of opinion uh, because all of the pressure that the Biden administration has been press, has been putting on the Israelis to to scale back their invasion, to hold off, to cease fire, to bring in humanitarian support, um, you know that's delayed what Israel needs to do to eliminate Hamas. But people don't Absolutely. see that. So right. all they hear, and, and I give credit to the president for you know standing publicly with Israel and sending a message to the rest of the international world. So that's reflected in that. And then I think this is also really reflects a lot of the drama that we've just concluded with uh, the chaos in the house and trying to get a new speaker. And, you know, that was dominant in the news as well and sort of, you know, gave uh, the Republicans the appearance of being like the Keystone cops running around without, you know, uh, uh, like chickens with their heads cut off. So uh, to, to absolutely horrendously mix a metaphor there. But, uh, uh, 
so I think that's reflecting there. I'll be very interested to see um, when we test this again, say in three months, four months, whatever, where the numbers are. I think they'll be uh, more in line uh, with what our expectations, as you articulated, are uh, in terms of the Republicans being seen more favorably. Yeah, I'm going to have to take a quick break. But my my thinking is that what I fully expect to have happen is that Biden is 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 going to disappoint yeah of course i mean he's saying all the right stuff now but and the other part of it is at what point do we figure out that he and his administration were the cause of this problem to begin with bear with me if you can we'll just hang here through the quick break you're listening to the what's right show i've got matt brooks here ceo of the rjc the republican jewish coalition just a, a tremendous human being all around great friend and um, and maybe we'll even lighten this up next segment. I mean, he 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 asked if we could do some jokes here, so I I don't know. We'll, maybe we'll get to that. Don't go anywhere, folks. The What's Right will be back in just a moment. All right, folks, welcome back. Sam Urjofsky here. The What's Right Show is on. In studio with me is Matt Brooks, CEO, the head, the grand poobah of the RJC, Republican Jewish Coalition. These are great people. Matt is a dear friend. I'm, I'm so happy to have him here in beautiful downtown Las Vegas. Okay, before we talk politics, do you love Vegas? Or what's your, what are your thoughts? Because you're an East Coast guy, but, but you know, here you're visiting Vegas. You've been on the ground now for almost a week. Um, are you enjoying yourself? Oh, I love Vegas. Vegas is is uh, my home away from home, so uh, it's always great to it's always great to be here, uh, especially today with uh, Halloween. Getting to see uh, this town and all its glory and yeah, be uh, careful. <laughs> it'll it'll get wild. You're still staying tonight, so you're gonna you're gonna see some some stuff. Yeah. No, there's a lot of French maids and nurses working walking around the streets of, streets of Las Vegas. So. Yes, they don't all have a medical training. Uh, just uh, just a word to the wise. And um, are you now? You're also you're a poker player. I mean, Shh, don't tell anybody. No, that's like a because I, I like to you know when I sit down at the poker table, you know, I like him to think that I. Oh, just, you're the ringer. I, no, I like yeah, yeah. I want him to be the. I want to think I'm the mark. <laughs> okay, the mark. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, you know, it used to. I'll just tell you one funny story. But and I know we're short on time. But it used to be um, before I would play in the poker rooms a lot and get reckoned, get known by all the other players. You know, they're like at the Venetian is always a big convention hotel. So I would find somebody. I'd give them twenty bucks for their name badge. You know, so I could sit down at the table, stand Topeka, Kansas. You know, uh, International Hardware Association, and I would sit there, and they would be salivating to have me in the game, uh, and then I would just run over the table, and uh, <laughs> and it worked well and good until until one person said, "Oh, where are from you? Where are you from in Topeka?" And I'm like, you know, downtown. Where downtown? And I just was like, I did a lot of tap dancing. <laughs> you got discovered. I did. <laughs> I love it. Well, speaking of getting discovered so so just before the break we're talking about biden weakening in the knees uh on his israel stance i i agree with you he's so far said a lot of the right stuff although you're beginning to hear some noise about let's really you know the palestinians versus hamas and i have plenty of examples of 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 rank and file palestinians saying some very abhorrent things so i'm leaving that where it is he's gonna weaken no question and will people notice? People are going to notice because uh, it'll be it'll it'll go beyond the private phone calls to Prime Minister Netanyahu. It'll start to be public. Uh, look, today's Halloween. There's you know Joe Biden is 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 a scary guy. I mean, it's uh, uh, 
going to be he is going to have tremendous pressure from his left flank domestically uh from the international community from the un and everybody to rein in the israelis and that's that's like i said that's going to be scary because the one thing israel needs is to know that the international community the united states has its back and has uh, you know enough of a runway for them to take the time to do the job right what we don't want to see happen is this groundhog day that we've seen so many times before where hamas acts up israel does a retaliatory strike to to uh, dismantle some of the infrastructure the international community starts to say you know enough is enough and they don't finish the job and then like a cancer it just regrows again so they have got to uh they have got to excise the cancer so it doesn't metastasize anymore and deal once and for all with the threat from hamas well i said this yesterday on the show i said you know uh, they they need israel needs to do what they need to do free from our interference and it's it's interesting because i think i the first presidential hopeful that spoke at the conference uh this weekend was vivek ramaswamy and of course he got he got booed a fair amount um because his he's a he's not an interventionist and he's 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 looking to scale back aid or part of his platform is eliminating aid to israel but he did say something that is that we saw i think a lot of people missed in in the in 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 the conference and that was that the aid that we give to israel the u.s aid to israel then oftentimes times seems to me at least to come with political handcuffs that you get a guy like you know you we we put the aid out there and then in comes an obama presidency for example and obama look obama hates israel and so Obama, you know, if there's a flare up and Israel needs to go in hardcore, oh, the Obama people are telling the government in Israel, uh, 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 and they have to listen to it. And I think some of that holdback already has happened this past month where, you know, they're, they're, so what's your, what's your thought on this? I mean, how, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I think that aid, we need to, we need to support Israel. I think Israel's an important ally, but at the same time, I don't, I don't want to see Israel hamstrung by the political whims and ups and downs of, of, our, of, of our political system. So the interesting thing about aid uh, to Israel is that almost 100% of it gets respent yes. back in the United States, creating it's a credit. American it's jobs. It's a credit. Right. So when they buy, use the aid to buy F-16s, that means Lockheed Martin is getting jobs to build the F-16s for the Israelis. All of the ammo... Raytheon, General Dynamics, all these companies do the high-tech uh, missile guidance systems and everything. So it all comes back and creates American jobs. It's not money that's being spent um, in Israel, and that's lost on you know a lot of people who make an argument because uh, unlike other countries, um, it it is essential for Israel's security and Israel's survival that it has the strong military. But all of that expense comes back uh, and creates jobs here in the U.S. Yeah, it's not like funding LGBTQ programs in Ghana, yeah. for example, which we do. Yeah, it is not into a black hole. It is, uh, it is uh, a twofer. It gives Israel the benefit it needs, and America benefits by creating jobs. So at the conference, you know, the goat himself comes out at the very end, Donald Trump, Donaldus Maximus, um, in all of his glory, and he gets a hero's welcome. I mean, the, the crowd goes wild. Funny story. People don't remember this. You know, Trump was in 2015 and 16 ran as a non-interventionist and yet he has i think turned out to be an uh well his presidency was one that i think every 
every uh, every Jewish American and, and, and supporter of Israel can can be proud of. So what, you know, what 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 are your thoughts? Is that is that a correct perception on my part? Is that yeah, kind of- I, I I think it is. You know, he and I had a few minutes to to chat backstage before uh, he went on, and we were sort of commiserating. Uh, you know, he was just ticking off the. The things, you know, he said, you know, when I was president, you know, we didn't have Russia invading Ukraine. We didn't have uh, the situation with Hamas and Gaza. We had peace with uh, uh, Israel and the and their Arab neighbors with the Abraham Accords. Uh, so it was, uh, you know, he, he, he gets it. And he's got a great record to build on. That's why I got the reaction that he did. Yeah, fantastic. Um, Matt, we're, we're out of time, unfortunately. But I see you, you brought a bottle of wine. Is that for later? That is for later. Yes! We'll do, uh Visit our friend Esther in her kitchen. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, thank you for coming in and joining us here. I know. I know you're a busy guy. Got a lot going on. And and hopefully, if there, we can have you back here sometime on your next visit to to Las Vegas. It won't be long. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, friends, that was Matt Brooks here in studio with us, beautiful downtown Las Vegas. Matt Brooks, CEO of the RJC Republican Jewish Coalition. I, Sam Rajovsky, your host of the What's Right Show, will be back in just a moment. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit salmonashlaw.com. All right, friends, welcome back. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Sam Marjofsky here, News Talk 840 I am Nevada's favorite recovering Californian back in the saddle after our short break. So listen, um, I'm looking, um, by the way, the, the, the bill, I mentioned this earlier, especially in the context of discussing this war in Israel, uh, the, the bill that, uh, the funding bill that was put out, the single subject spending bill, to support Israel is now in the hands of the Senate, and um, and and it's you know and and one of the one of the really important considerations here is because in the past Congress really likes to take a bill des- designed, for example, to to fund or aid Israel, and then add all sorts of pork into it. And one of the things that will get added, for example, into a bill like this, this is this is what the Democrats want. They want a bill that not only supports and gives aid to Israel, but also gives aid to Palestine. Well, you see the obvious problem with it. You're telling me that aid destined for Palestine when the when the government there is controlled by Hamas is not going to end up being used for terrorism? I don't know how any person could guarantee that that wouldn't happen. So Senator Haggerty, Republican Texas, asked Secretary Blinken today on the Hill um, in a Senate appropriations hearing regarding aid to Israel, Ukraine, Taiwan, and the U.S. border. He asks him, he asks Secretary of State Blinken, can you guarantee us that no U.S. taxpayer money went to fund the attack that Hamas delivered on October 7th? I think the answer here is pretty telling. So we have and we've had uh, from day one uh, a robust monitoring, inspection, uh, verification system for the assistance that goes uh, to uh, any international organization. uh, Can you guarantee, though, that U.S. taxpayer dollars didn't go to Hamas to help fund this attack on October the 7th? So 
everything uh, that we're doing in terms of uh, making sure that the assistance is used for purposes for which it's uh, designated, not for other purposes. As I said, we have a robust system in place. Um, can, I, can I share my concern, this, Mr. Secretary, to be more specific about this? Uh, in May of 2021, I traveled to Israel after the 11-day war. I'm with Prime Minister Netanyahu with his national security advisor. They briefed me and my team on the fact that every humanitarian aid dollar, every foreign aid dollar that goes into Gaza is controlled by Hamas. They either direct it, they tax it, or they divert it. So I'm going to come back and ask you, can you guarantee that U.S. taxpayer dollars weren't used on October 7th? What, what I can guarantee is that um, we take every possible precaution to ensure that these, these uh, resources are not diverted. Now, this is farcical, right? So every time you hear the Washington Post, you hear the New York Times demand that we send aid to the citizens of Gaza, be aware that until Hamas is defeated, that aid will end up getting used against not just Israeli assets, uh, soldiers, and Israeli citizens, uh, but also to, against any U.S. assets that we may have uh, in the country on the ground, aiding in the release of hostages, for example. Why in God's name would we go and pay, give money to the enemy? This is, I mean, imagine we were fighting World War II and Patton is slogging it up through Italy, getting up into Europe. We've got a D-Day invasion, you know, get, getting planned and in the works. And, 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 and in the midst of all of this, we decide to provide financial aid to the Third Reich. What kind of a planet would that, I mean, I don't know. That's the part of, the, of, I think, of history. I, I didn't read that chapter. I didn't read it because it didn't happen. These people are insane, the stuff that they're demanding. And it's the Democrats that are demanding this aid for Gaza, make no mistake about it. And again, when I say that we're going to have a weakening by the administration, one of the, one of the things that's going to weaken is this desire to go and aid Palestine. And it doesn't, I mean, it's, it's giving money right now to the Palestinians guarantees more Israeli deaths. Guarantees that the conflict will drag out. Virtually guarantees an order of magnitude more Palestinian deaths. Because the more money you give to Hamas, to the military, the terrorists in Gaza to wage war, the longer the conflict lasts and the more civilians die. And by the own by their own logic here of what is being said in the mainstream media about all this is that uh, there's a disproportionate number of deaths on the Gazan side of the border. And if that is the case, I, you know, and I think that's a will likely be a fair statement moving forward, then every day that this war goes longer will result in more Gazans dying. Now, that's, of course, what Hamas wants. That's what Iran wants. They want to lose the P they want Israel to lose the PR war. They want uh, they want to inflame tensions in the Middle East. This is all stuff that they're counting on. But it is uh, it, it is uh, it should it ought to shock you that here that this questioning is so direct to Senator Blinken. All he can say is that we we have verified we are doing everything we can to verify that this money isn't being used for any terrorist related. Uh, purchasings and in spite of him basically making a case for giving aid to Gaza the 
protesters still showed up uh, to interrupt the, the meeting, and, and this is how this went. From Palestine to Mexico, all the world are going to More deranged liberals, Hamas sympathizers, now they're uh, looking to, well, expand the zone of peace all the way to Mexico, which is a great relief to me, uh, saying we ought to tear down walls. I don't know. We don't have very many walls. It was Biden that's resumed building walls between us and Mexico. They just want open borders. They, this... they would love nothing more than a nice wide open border in Israel so that Palestinians, Hamas Palestinians, can cross the border and wreak havoc in Israel and take over, subsume Israel for themselves, just as they are doing at the south-southern border here in the United States. So the, you can see why they're all sort of in bed with each other and how this is all interrelated. Now, by the way, what are you? What do you think the chances are of Hezbollah, Hamas, Iranian agents, ISIS stragglers, Islamic Brotherhood, whatever the group it is? What do you think the chances are that those folks are already those assets are already in our country as a consequence of a, a very porous border? Rick Scott, senator from Florida. Ask Secretary Mayorkas if Hamas and Hezbollah haven't already crossed the border. And, well, this this is further to troubling responses from the Biden administration. Can you say that Hamas, Hezbollah, or other Iran-backed terrorists are not in the U.S. currently um, after possibly illegally crossing our southern border? Um, uh, Senator, uh, let me assure you that anyone who poses a threat to our national security or our public safety is an enforcement priority of ours, and we use our detention capabilities to the fullest extent. Yeah, that's really comforting. Let me take a quick break. You know, Christopher Ray also today on the Hill gave uh, a response to Rick Scott in Florida that um, on, on the subject of terrorism in the U.S. that is disconcerting, to say the least. Because I think the answer here is pretty obvious. I, I think the answer is that we're going to have an attack, unfortunately, on our soil, we're going to come close to an attack, and my my, and the reason I say I think we're more likely than not to have the attack is not just because of the wide open southern border, but because we have an FBI that has been politicized for so long, focused on the wrong bad guys, and they are very much, very much at a pre September 11th, call it a September 10th mentality, where political correctness where doing the bidding of the Democratic Party far more important than protecting U.S. interests and the homeland. Sam Murchowski here, News Talk 840 KXNT. Thanks for listening, folks. Be back in just a couple minutes. Don't go anywhere. We'll get into this. You do not want to miss uh, what we're covering here. Sam Murchowski again here, News Talk 840 KXNT. Be back in a moment. Welcome back. Sam Rajovsky here. Uh, you're listening to The What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. FBI Director Christopher Ray, who has been, well, let's say, a little preoccupied chasing white supremacists 
aka MAGA supporters, Trump supporters around the country, intervening. Can I say that intervening? I'm trying to put this in, in as nice of language as I can. Uh, well, intervening in school board meetings where moms, dads show up and express their displeasure with curriculums, COVID shutdowns, and the like. Yes, this, this is a Christopher Ray, the same weaselly guy that keeps insisting that the Bureau is absolutely uh, above board, who, when a particular mass casualty incident occurs that is of benefit politically, he immediately releases all information. But then when, for example, like in the Nashville shooting, you have a manifesto that clearly would have shown that the shooter was a deranged, you know, one of these, you know, gender, uh, you know, crazy people, uh, that, that, that manifesto is not going to see the light of day. So FBI Christopher Ray asked by Rex Scott about terrorists possibly in the homeland having infiltrated our borders. And uh, Scott, Senator Scott asks, you know, is the FBI able to track all these threats and prevent these individuals from, you know, conducting an attack here on U.S. soil? Ooh, this answer is not good. I couldn't say that we were able to detect all individuals. Um, with the, the people that we know about, as Secretary Rumsfeld uh, used to say, the known known, we're quite good at together with our partners. But it is the unknown unknown uh, that I worry about quite a bit. So, Director Ray, can you say that we do not have either individual foreign terrorists or terror cells affiliated with foreign groups currently operating in the United States? Well, we're not, we're not tracking that. But uh, again, I come point back to what it is. The gaps in our intelligence are real. We're not tracking that? You're not tracking individual foreign terrorists or terrorist cells affiliated with foreign groups? Yeah, you know why you're not tracking it is you're too busy going after Trump supporters. There are people alive today that will be dead because of the politicized nature of our law enforcement and not just our law enforcement, but our intelligence services. All those intelligence services people, the illustrious IC community that all were too busy signing themselves up for disinformation by claiming that the Hunter Biden laptop was planted by the Russians. All those same people that were so eager to help Biden now have their heads in the sand. And it's absolutely maddening. Yeah, this is this is maddening, and it ought to it ought to horrify all of us. Now, against this backdrop, of course, you have folks within the country, very shrilly in our government, uh, still thinking that this all is a, a problem just with with Israel. And I say this; it's interconnected because, of course, on one hand, you've got you've got an FBI that thinks that the problem is with Trump supporters because the Trump people are the baddies. They're convinced that white supremacists are the real anti-Semites. When every one of us who has eyes and ears is watching as the left betrays itself, finally lets the mask fall, revealing itself to be the biggest anti-Semite group of people on, on the planet. Besides, of course, all the people in the Middle East that are 
well, and in Europe, <laughs> that have infiltrated European countries. Here is Representative Pramila Jayapal, who's calling Israel racist and then makes an interesting complaint. This is not spliced together. She really says these two ideas in the same breath. Listen to this. There are racists within the Netanyahu government, and uh. there are racist policies that Israel has been carrying out. I think it is important for us to recognize that we need to be able to criticize the policies of the Israeli government and, uh, and not be called anti-Semitic. I, I really believe that conversation is changing in a way that is not helpful. Okay, so there are racists within the Netanyahu government but then uh, we're, yes, yeah, so this is not, you know, but criticizing the government, of course, is not anti-Semitic. Um, but what is this racism, by the way? So that's the interesting question, right? What's this racism? Is the racism of saying that we've got to eliminate Hamas? That, you know, I, I don't hear anywhere, by the way, I really do not hear anybody in the Israeli government saying that we ought to exterminate every Arab in the Arab world, that we ought to exterminate every Muslim. But I'm hearing that, I'm hearing a hell of a lot of that from the Arabs about the Israelis. It's in the same vein of what I would answer to Kamala Harris when she says, you know, you can't, you can't paint all Palestinians with the Hamas brush. And I would say, well, this is great, but I'm, you know, I don't really hear very many of those Palestinians yelling on the street, you know, for peace and saying, you know, and saying that Israel has a right to exist. Not hearing a lot of that. Not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just not hearing it. But I'm sure hearing a hell of a lot of people on the streets calling for the death, uh, not just of Israel, the state, but specifically calling out the death of Jewish people. They're calling for a genocide. And Pramila Jayapal is sitting here calling, Israel's a racist because I don't like Netanyahu. That's the root of it. I should have asked Matt Brooks this. I always remember good questions when an interview's over. But no, but because I think a lot of Jews in this country in particular, right, taking it now to those people who are going through an existential crisis because they're, they're flummoxed by, this, in, by this, uh, this tidal wave of anti-Semitism. And they, have, they, they are critical of Israel too. But they are really, they're critical of Netanyahu. But Netanyahu, but Netanyahu. Tired of hearing, but Netanyahu. I, but okay, so we got you know we got attacked on September 11th. But George Bush, <laughs> but George Bush, but Clinton. How the, how the hell does that have anything to do with anything? We don't like these libs. Don't like Netanyahu. They don't like that Israel is successful. They don't like that you have well. They don't. That really is it. It's what it boils down to. And so they will continue to uh, to, to 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 be to be agitated against against uh, against Israel on all fronts. Judith Butler, this was back in 2006 at UC Berkeley. Uh, you know, this is the Hamas Hezbollah's part of the progressive global movement. These these people have been bedfellows forever, and every. Every Jewish person who supports Israel, maybe not Netanyahu, but supports Israel and doesn't want to be exterminated, 
has been playing footsies with these radicals and now is surprised that they've turned on them. Uh, understanding uh, Hamas, Hezbollah as uh, social movements that are progressive, that are on, uh, the, on the left, that are part of a global left, is extremely important. That does not stop us from uh, being critical of certain dimensions of um, both movements. It doesn't... Um, it doesn't stop those of us who are interested in nonviolent politics from raising the question of um, uh, uh, of whether there are other options besides violence. Um, so again, uh, a, cr a critical, important engagement. I mean, I certainly think it should be entered into the conversation on the left. I similarly think boycotts um, and divestment procedures are, again, um, uh, an essential component of any resistance movement. There, there you have it. And these are people who've, we've been hearing stuff like this for years. Uh, and now are surprised that it's spilling out into open anti-Semitism. And what does, flash forward to today, the administration have to say about this? Well, Corinne Jean-Pierre, in all her wisdom, says, well, you know, not going to, she's not going to, she's not going to make any statements against left-wing hate anti-Semitism, right? They're not going to do it. And instead she goes, we're calling out any form of hate, any form of hate. It's not acceptable. We, we are calling out any form of hate, any form of hate. It is not acceptable. It should not be acceptable here. And we are going to continue to call that out. And let, and let me be very clear. This is a president that has continued to have that fight in his office, in this administration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when you hear a bunch of Jews on the street calling for the extermination of Muslims, we can have a conversation. But calling this equal somehow is such a cop-out. Weak, weak, weak. From the same people that told Iran, don't. Losers, all of them. Sam Marjofsky, be back tomorrow. Uh, have a great night, folks.